Your reasons for listening to this show, well, those are your own. But just keep in mind that the views, information, or opinions expressed on the Tuttle Daily Podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of our sponsors. Yeah, it's called free speech, people. Nobody's forcing you to listen. One-of-a-kind shades made to order by Vaporshades.com. Vaporshades designs the outer layer of the sunglasses just like a wrap on a car. They customize your sunglasses, marbling the paint. The end result is no two pair of sunglasses are alike. Yours will be completely unique to you. Check us out at Vaporshades.com. Use promo code TUTTLE for 15% off your entire order. Get ready for your daily dose of TUTTLE. Uh, the all-time greatest uh, intern slash producer we've ever had, of course, Tuttle. Tuttle in Florida. From the Vapor Shades Hobo Fish Camp, it's the Tuttle Daily Podcast. No wonder nobody likes you, Tuttle. Everything's a goddamn debate. I talked about this before. A lot of the trolls out there automatically want to call me a libtard, think that I am anti-conservative, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. Like, I don't like any of the politicians. And I'm about to play some audio for you. You know, a lot of people said, oh, you're, you're just uh, bashing Trump all the time. It's not the case. Listen, if the liberals, like, in this story that I'm about to play for you about what Joe Biden and his administration is doing, and I also don't play a lot of audio from Fox News, but I just had to play some of this for you because this is goddamn hypocrisy at its finest. Well, the White House defending their decision to let go of five staffers because of their past use of marijuana. The move coming despite this admission from the current vice president. Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay. Like in and college, I, and I inhale. I didn't. I did inhale. And if you didn't know who that was that was just speaking, That is our vice president, Kamala Harris. I think maybe on the Breakfast Club show up in New York. You know, if you're going to fire five of your staffers that have used marijuana in the past, and you're not going to hold your second in command just as as accountable as the people that you let go because they maybe smoked a little bit of marijuana back in the day is complete bullshit. It is complete, absolute bullshit. You know, George W. Bush, I don't know if he ever admitted it, but from what I heard was that he loved the cocaine back in the day. And you know what? I really, I don't, I... I don't have a problem. I I really do think all drugs should be legalized. Let people do what they want to do. Just like I think prostitution should be legal. Now, I also know that a lot of uh, sex trafficking and stuff like that happens because of prostitution. But think about this. The only amendment in the entire history of the United States of America was prohibition. They overturned prohibition because, guess what? When they figured out, holy crap, 
we basically created the mafia. We created organized crime. Now, there does need to be some regulations on it, like driving around high as fuck. Yeah, no, that's not cool. But let people do what they want to do. Let people be responsible for their own well-being. Do you realize how much money the state of Colorado has made after they made marijuana recreational? And let's, let's be honest, nobody has ever died. I mean, maybe. But I think you would have to smoke the most massive amount of marijuana to overdose. It's just, it's just not happening. Now, Washington Examiner commentary writer Tiana Lowe calls the firings preposterous, and she joins us now. So, Tiana, I don't, I don't know the standard. So you work in the Biden administration. You admit to past marijuana use. You're out. But, but the vice president, we just heard, readily admitted to past marijuana use. I don't think that I have ever once, during the incarnation of the Tuttle Daily podcast, have I ever played any audio from Fox News. You know, I, I get tired of getting attacked all the time, saying that I am sucking the liberal dick of the party, especially Matt Major. Do you guys realize how much hate that I get for being on Matt Major's website, 315live.com? I mean, the guy, the, my numbers increased the day that I joined his network, his website, 315live.com. But everybody wants to call me a liberal dick sucker. No, I don't, I don't like any of these politicians. They are all crooks. They are all like beholden to the lobbyists. They don't, they don't give a fuck about us. They, look, Whoever the president is, doesn't matter to people like me and you. The people that listen to this show, I'm sure that there are some really rich people that maybe do listen to the Tuttle Daily podcast. It, why we are so divided in this country right now is because of class. Not about race. Not about this. It's not about that. The rich have gotten richer during this pandemic and the poor have gotten poor. So, yes, I'm going to call out the Biden administration when they come up with something as asinine as this is right now, especially when Kamala Harris admitted on a very nationally syndicated radio show that she smoked pot. I mean, it's as Tulsi Gabbard said when she destroyed her on the debate stage. Kamala Harris is laughing about how she was lighting up to Tupac and Snoop, which, if I have my timeline correct, roughly puts it while she was an assistant in the district attorney's office, you know, walking up nonviolent drug offenders or at least helping to do so. Am I living in bizarre world right now? Because I, I never thought in a million years that I would be agreeing with some Fox News pundit, but she is correct. Do you realize how much money we waste on locking up nonviolent drug offenders? Now, I, I, can, I can see going after the big dealers and stuff like that, but for the people 
that have addiction problems, how, how is it helping out anybody by locking them up? We're doing nothing but wasting money, having to put them in jail, feed them, take care of them medically. It's just a big waste of time. Go after, go after the dealers. I mean, you can see the progression that is going on. I mean, they are decriminalizing a lot of marijuana use right now. As long as it's under a certain amount. But we really, really do. Like, our, I mean, seriously, people. What, what good does it do for us to be locking up people that have addiction problems? People that maybe are self-medicating. You know, that's one of the things that I realized when I was in the mental institution. All the mental health people that were in there, they all had addiction problems. They all had some type of trauma in their life. And I'm not making excuses. Yes, drug addicts, they steal, they rob to be able to uh, support their drug habits. Yeah, lock them up for that. But if I get pulled over and I got some weed or maybe some pills, do, do, what good does it do to throw me in jail for a year? It's a, big, it's a big fucking waste of taxpayer money, in my opinion. So the standard makes no sense. I mean, in D.C., marijuana's already been decriminalized. Oh, by the way, and I know that you guys hate when I start and stop these audio clips, these news stories and stuff. But I don't believe for a second that Kamala Harris, because this, this is what these politicians do. They lie. They, uh, they pander to the audience. Because Kamala was on The Breakfast Club and she was talking about smoking weed while listening to Tupac and Biggie. I don't believe for a second that Kamala Harris was getting high as fuck listening to Tupac and Biggie at the time. No. Just like all politicians, she said this. I'm sure she had some aid. You know, one of her assistants was probably like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, you're going to admit that you smoked weed because that will uh, engage the audience of The Breakfast Club. But then you also need to say that you were getting high as fuck while listening to Tupac and Biggie. No. This is, this is what these politicians do. They tell you what they want you to hear or what they think you want to hear. And that's, that's how the system works. That is why our political system is broken here in the United States of America. Biden says that he wants to legalize it or at least decriminalize it federally. If he's serious about this, punish your number two, who's the one who bragged about smoking pot, not random staffers who just want to take home a good day's pay. Yeah, that... 
that admission or that attempted admission of listening to rap music in your dorm that didn't line up with when she was in college show that that was a complete farce. But this policy of firing people who have past marijuana use, that's interesting. What's behind it? Here's Jen Psaki. Here's what she had to say. She tweeted this. The White House has worked with security services to update the policies to ensure that past marijuana use wouldn't automatically disqualify staff from serving in the White House. Of the hundreds of people hired, only five people had started working at the White House and are no longer employed as a result of this policy. So what do you think is behind the policy? So the number one thing that they always want to ensure when they're clearing folks, you know, for their security clearances, especially in something uh, high security like the White House. I mean, the main thing and the number one piece of advice that all people applying for security clearances don't lie. See, this is the thing that pisses me off the most. You know, this is like back in the day where your parents was like, don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. You're not going to be in trouble. But then when you finally fess up to it, you still get your ass beat. Your mom tells you, go wait in your room until your dad gets home because he's going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. And also, let's not forget about the hypocrisy on top of hypocrisy. What about your son, Hunter, uh, President Biden? That dude is the biggest partier. That dude has done way worse drugs than marijuana. So does that mean your son should not be allowed anywhere near the White House? Because Hunter Biden was getting after it, and I'm sure he is still getting after it when it comes to whores, cocaine, any type of drug that you can think of. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, yes, for you guys that want to say that I'm sucking the dick of the liberal media, you can fuck off with this one because this is really pissing me off. If you've smoked pot, confess you've smoked pot. Because the num- because they want to ensure that, that no one can be mm. leveraged or, you know, blackmailed in any way. So you have staffers who did not lie and they're being punished anyways. And I hope that the American people can wake up and see how broken our drug laws are to begin with. Marijuana is a Schedule One drug drug alongside heroin. Hold the phone here. So you're telling me that marijuana is in the same class as heroin is? I, I, I've never read a news report. I've never seen a story about somebody overdosing on marijuana. And it's in the same class as heroin? Let's talk about this. What about alcohol and tobacco? This goes back to the lobbyists, the politicians being in and holding the pockets of the lobbyists, having to repay them. Take tobacco, take alcohol, and look at how many people have died from liver disease, alcoholism, drunk driving. How many people have died of cancer from tobacco? You want to know why that shit's uh, legal? It's because of big tobacco and big alcohol. Also, big pharmaceutical does not want these drugs being legal 
because it's going to take away from their profit. And does anybody else, am I the only one that seems to have a problem with this? I don't want any of you guys to think that I was like, oh, yeah, let it eat. Let it eat. Make every drug legal. No, I'm not saying that. There needs to be some type of regulations. But, I mean, seriously, alcohol and tobacco. My dad always told me this, okay? Take, for example, the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles Stadium has been known as some of the worst fans. Philly fans are the worst sports fans out there. Do you realize on Sundays they actually have a jail and a judge on standby on Sundays on game day because of all the fights and rowdy things? We're also talking about the same fans that threw D-cell batteries at Santa Claus on a Christmas Day game. Yeah, I know they make a lot of money off of alcohol sales, and I don't want you to think, look, I, I'm i an alcoholic, okay? I had I had plenty of great times, but it just was not good for me. You know, it's also, I think, in the state of Florida, you cannot have your concealed carry permit if you have your medical uh, marijuana card. I could be wrong on that, but I, I have read some reports that, that have stated that. If you take alcohol out of the Philadelphia Eagles football stadium and let everyone just burn and blaze and get as high as they fucking can. Yeah, you would lose some money on the alcohol sales, but think of the money you would make on concession. Yeah, a lot of people would not be watching the game because they would be waiting in line. Give me a slice of pizza. Give me a hot dog. Give me those nachos and extra cheese because everybody's going to have the munchies. And guess what? They're not going to want to fight each other. But you're also telling me if it's true that you're not allowed to have your concealed carry permit if you have your medical marijuana card. Trust me. Some guy that is all beard up is more likely to shoot somebody out of nowhere than a pothead. And you know that I'm telling the truth. And Schedule 4, which is considered much less risky or uh, dependent risk, include tramadol and benzos, which are obviously highly addictive and highly destructive drugs, whereas, uh, based on my knowledge, marijuana has never actually killed anyone before. Not trying to S my own D here, but for you guys that want to say that I'm biased, I just gave you a uh, almost 20-minute rant on how fucked up I think that this policy that the Biden administration has put in place. And this chick, I thought never in a million years that I would agree with somebody on Fox News, but she is correct. Those benzos that she mentioned, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that is, that's Xanax. And there are two, like, 
addictions that you can physically die from, from withdrawals, one being alcoholism, alcohol, and Xanax, those benzos. Like, your body does not do well after you've been taking those things for so long, and then you just stop. And you're telling me that that pot and, and is, is highly more addictive or it's more dangerous than the benzos? It's more dangerous than alcohol? It's more dangerous than tobacco? No, it, it, it's not. This chick has made complete sense. And I never in a million years would ever think that I would say or I would agree was somebody that was a guest on Fox News. He's a nerd? I've only been arrested one time. A radio personality? Professionally? I'm not in the best position that I've ever been in. And hot talk satirizer? You would think with everything that's going on, a Caucasian like myself wouldn't be able to randomly talk to an African-American or a minority. You're listening to the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Wish you could have just flown and had your vehicle arrive a day or two later so you can enjoy more time doing what's important to you? Well, you can. Just give Starfire Transport a call. Let the professionals do the driving while you're flying. Starfire Transport specializes in RV and auto transport. They'll also haul watercraft from boats to PWCs, cargo trailers, and more. Service available throughout the continental United States. So don't wait. Call Brian today at 574-349-4193 or 989-751-6106 for your next move. 10% off for veterans past or present. Also, make sure to tell them Tuttle sent you for an additional discount. That's Starfire Transport. Do you have something you want to say? Hey, what kind of preacher is you? Leave Tuttle a voicemail. Because you're kind of ignorant. Especially if you think he's being an asshole. No mega bitch! Will your hurtful comments offend Tuttle? No, baby! Call the show at 407-270-3044. No, baby! Alright guys, welcome back to the Tuttle Daily Podcast. This is an interview that I've actually been looking forward to for... Uh, quite some time on the line with me right now is Brian Miller, who is Brian. How would you describe yourself? That's such an open ended question. Uh, let's well, start I just don't want to say magician. <laughs> I just don't want to say magician because yeah. like you've you've done stuff that, you know, like and we'll get into it. But like, tell all right. So basically, I'm going to give you the floor. Describe yourself. Tell people where they can and find out more about you, where they can find you on social media and all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So I I certainly am a magician, although that is not what I do for a living anymore. I, I was a magician full time for 10 years, started off doing backyard barbecues, local restaurants, card tricks, coin tricks, loved it. Uh, had a few lucky breaks, managed to wind my career up to touring nationally and, you know, corporate high-end private events and really got to live a life that when when kids imagining being a magician or a comedian or a juggler for a living or an actor or something almost mm. nobody gets to do it that's a really did live you, the dream yeah. did you ever do any of the uh like escape artist stuff like who no i, and I didn't no. but that's just because i'm i'm afraid <laughs> i just I don't mean, have it in me 
No. All right. So I didn't mean to interrupt. So go, go ahead, please. No, that's OK. You did mean to interrupt, but it was a good reason, though. Um, right. So, <laughs> no, I, I was I was I was a magician. I got to do it and uh, I, I enjoyed it, got to make a nice living and all that jazz. And and then I started to get invited to speak because if you've you know done something successfully weird, you know, like magic um, and you've been successful doing it, then I started getting invited to speak to different groups about what I'd learned in building that career. And I started to find myself talking a lot about human connection, that what magicians master is the ability to take on other perspectives that are different mm -hmm. from their own and, and bridge the gap. And I ended up giving a TEDx talk about it. It uh, went bananas. Yeah, I got to I got to talk to you about this. So everybody like they make it seem like if you've done a TED talk, you've made it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, explain to my audience that might not know what TED talk is. Like, how do you even end up getting the opportunity to do a TED talk? Yeah, so it's very different today in 2021 than it was when I did mine in 2015 and then it, you know, than it was many years before when it's first started. So today it's incredibly difficult because every like you just said, people go Ted, they see that red dot and they go, "Oh my god," right? It's just there's this instant mm -hmm. expert, you know, you can launch your career status that comes of course. so Every one of these TEDx conferences, I know a lot of the organizers. I mean, there's thousands of these, so I don't know nearly all of them, but I know many of them. And, you know, they say we, you know, we get the amount of submissions we get every year is impossible now. It's just so many people want to do this. And they have like six slots at a conference once a year, eight slots once a year. And so today it's incredibly difficult. You have to work with you really if I mean, I, not to sound like self-promotional, but like, I, you know, I coach TED students and. That's why people hire me is to help them learn how to stick out in, in the, those crowds. Back when I got invited in 2015, it was just a, a, a local English teacher at a high school that had gotten a TEDx license. And mm -hmm. he said, hey, you're interesting. You want to speak at my TEDx conference? I said, yeah. And he goes, what would you speak about? I said, I don't know. Like, that's not how it happens anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. You have to have it fully formed now before you accept before oh yeah invite you see now if i'm just being honest though like see the the type of radio and interviews that i do okay so I'll, I'll give you an idea of how i go about preparing for an interview like i just want to know the basics about the person that i'm about to speak with because i don't want to be over prepared because then it then it just sounds fake you know, I like to let the conversation be a, a a living, breathing organism that takes on a life of its own. Like, I, I, I know the basics of you and and I want to talk about, you know, connecting with people because that's a part of the stuff that you've done. Me being a radio broadcaster, I mean, you got to be able to engage your audience. You, you know, it's 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 even changed even more now where you have to engage your audience online and social media. Mm -hmm. um, are we are we are we going overboard with it, though, like at, at a point like with our audience connecting with people and stuff? Uh, what, I, I don't know do if that's going such a overboard. Thing. Well, I mean, like, you know, like the audience. OK, 
here, working in radio, the trolls are absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, I, I tried to commit suicide back in the end of uh, 2019. Mm. And you wouldn't believe all the horrible things that that were sent to me that that were that were just tweeted out to me or or on Facebook. And and it's gotten to the point where I've gotten better at it. But it's just like the engagement connection with other people. It just feels like people have the freedom to be able to say whatever they want at some point. Mm. So I'm sorry to hear that. Hope uh, you. Oh, no, no, no. Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry, because like 2020, you know, I know it was horrible for a lot of people, but it was a life changing year for me. It was like I'm I'm I want to know more about that. What what, what was what was the change for you? Okay, so I was I spent 10 days in a psych ward. Okay. And, and it, it, it opened up my mind and my eyes that I got off of everything. All I, I think in our country, we over prescribe medications to people mm-hmm. and I got off of, uh, got off of all of them. And, you know, I was on like mood stabilizing drugs. I wasn't either too high. I wasn't too low. I was just in the middle, you know? Mm-hmm. Now that I'm off of those, I have I get to experience true joy. I get to have really, really good days. But I'll admit I get some really, really bad days as well, too. But I get to enjoy those great days. I stopped drinking. I started working out. I'm in the best shape that I've ever been physically and mentally in my life. Um, You know. I ended up getting fired from radio, but I started this podcast that has grown tremendously because you got to remember uh, most of the radio shows that I was on were, were nationally syndicated. I was I was getting heard by millions of people every single day. And when I first started the podcast, I was like, oh, man, 20 downloads. Oh, man, that's <laughs> that's that's really, really humbling. But I've also, my parents are in their 70s, both have um, underlying health conditions that would not be good during the pandemic. And I've been able to spend time and help take care of my parents, do this podcast and work on myself mentally and physically. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to ramble there. No, it's that's great. Like, I'm I'm so thrilled to hear that because there's there's obviously been a lot of devastation it's been within my own family as well as a result of covid but within that context there's been such an opportunity to you know all the rules kind of disappeared for a while to take a break and step back to take just a step back because life moves fast yeah yeah, it was. I mean, for me, so I, I, my my 2020 was this unbelievable blessing in disguise because I, you know, to I, what you're saying, you got to spend more time with your family, with your parents who are getting a little bit older. Well, for me, I am at the point where my nobody knew this, but when we went into the first round of lockdowns in March, uh, like March where 12th, are you, March by the 14th, way? I'm in Connecticut. OK, yeah. So we, because of my proximity to New York City, about an hour and a half outside New York, uh, we oh, they locked were in you the down. spot. Yeah, they locked us right down. And we stayed locked down for most of the last year. I mean, I, I really haven't. I've filled the tank, my, my uh, gas tank, five times since lockdowns last Can, year. I mean, I haven't gone anywhere. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but like, 
you know, a lot of people have said that they've been dealing with mental illness because of the lockdown. You know, people need human connection mm -hmm. with people. And it's I mean, it's one thing to talk over the phone or, or do Zoom, but to be in somebody's proximity, their space is a different experience. Am I am, am I off by saying that? No, I don't think you're off by saying it's a different experience. I would I don't even know if you'd be off saying it's a better experience, but I I would hesitate. I think what has happened and what I've seen, because this is the work that I do, like 95 percent of the work I do is speaking on doing workshops for coaching, consulting on human connection. That's what I do for corporations, but I do for mm -hmm. healthcare facilities and colleges and universities and students and all this. So I've done like 80 virtual events in the last year all on the topic of human connection in a virtual world. This is all I've done for a year. And yeah. I can tell you that, yes, anxiety is up. Depression is up. Feelings of isolation and loneliness, of course, are up. But I really see this as just more of the symptom of a problem. We had this problem already. In February of 2020, before COVID, before the lockdowns, in February of 2020, Cigna released a, an update to their landmark study on loneliness. And their update in February of 2020 said that two out of three Americans, two out of every three Americans feels lonely or isolated on a regular basis. That was before the lockdowns. So what has happened here is really just, it just accelerated a problem that was already incredibly bad, incredibly pervasive. Can and, I ask? Yeah. Can I ask how old of a person you are? I'm 33. So you're not a Gen Xer. I was, nope. I, I, so, so you're I'm an old millennial. Consider, you're an old millennial. So I was reading a very, very interesting story. And I, I'm, I'm sorry. And then I'll make it really, really quick. But how Generation X, we were known as the latchkey kids. I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but yeah. You know, uh, we were the generation, you know, they called this the slacker generation. Um, and and, you know, divorce rates were up. So it's, it was either, you know, a single parent or both parents were working at the same time. And a lot of those kids had to come home to an empty house, take care of themselves, had to do their homework, maybe feed themselves. And probably didn't even see their parents until maybe six or seven o'clock when they got home from work. And and I read somewhere where they thought that Generation X was the most suited generation to deal with pandemic life. Mm. I don't know th if that makes any sense at all, but, <laughs> you know, like we I, we were we were ones that had to kind of like fend for ourselves. Yeah, well, it's interesting because. When it comes down to generation, breaking down generation lines, every generation feels like they're the ones best suited for whatever <laughs> exactly, the current situation exactly. is, right? Or the music. Uh, Our music is the best. Exactly, right? And, and of course, as, as we all know, um, you know, my generation's music was the best. So, you know, the... the <laughs> Which is not know, even man. true. I, I, I'm a classic rock guy, so I, that, that's not even true. That's just a joke. Dude, but, I got to tell but, you, the 90s, the 90s were like across all platforms. The music in the 90s was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the case, right? Is that so we we have these associations where we have these identities in our head that are forged by 
things that are outside of our control, the the year that we were born, our parents, our culture, you know, all those things. And so everyone, I think, obviously feels like they're best suited. What what I will say is that um, adults, older adults have had more trouble, uh, as far as I can tell and from the studies I've read, more trouble with the pandemic than than younger people did, because younger people, the Generation Z and even younger high schoolers, college kids right now and younger, they they knew how to stay, quote, connected. They've been doing it that way digitally for ages. There wasn't that big. It wasn't that big a deal uh, for them to just kind of shift and go, OK, well, I guess everything's digital now. It was heading yeah. that way anyway, you know. Um, so it's actually it's it's folks more like you and and older that actually had a much harder time adjusting to, you know, the intentionality. And this is where I was going a little while ago, which is the biggest thing that changed isn't that we're in isolation. It's that we don't have the chance encounters anymore. You don't bump into somebody in an elevator when you never leave your house. You don't have a 10 second conversation with the barista at a coffee shop. Uh, and so the the accidental interactions, the incidental interactions are gone. And what happened is generations of people, mostly just not Gen Z, Gen Z was fine, but all the rest of us older than that, we didn't have the tools, the tool belt uh, of techniques for intentionally connecting with other people, which is what's required on the Internet. You have to yeah. click a button and make a decision to connect with somebody. That mm. was the problem. We weren't taught how to do that. I, I, you, you, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I, I live in a very, very small town right now. Now mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying that I haven't worked in big cities. I, I worked in Daytona, Orlando, and then I moved to Tampa, Tampa. I spent about 10 years in Tampa, but That's I great. had, but, but I had a, I had a chance encounter here. Because such a, it, it's such a small town, people are getting out more, you know, because, sure. you know, people spend a lot more time outside. Um, and I ended up meeting a girl just or a woman by chance um, that was just riding her bicycle around and was visiting the community that I live in. And now we've become friends. So that that was one of those chance and encounters yeah. that you're talking about, you know, that not yeah. a lot of people are getting right now. Right. Yeah. And that that is the biggest thing. And that's what I've spent so much of the last year working with people on is how to take back the how to how to make connection intentionally. And there's something that you said earlier, by the way, way at the beginning of this, we talked about the radio and trolls and are we going too far by trying to connect i feel like what you were asking earlier was like by trying to connect with everybody are we actually um catering to people that we shouldn't be uh, mm -hmm. i feel like is is that kind of what you were yeah, getting kind of kind of but 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 you also got to understand in the business that i'm in though like our jobs you're a communicator you're an entertainer our jobs is to garner the biggest possible audience that we can mm. no matter what oh this is so interesting okay so i love this and i think you would probably agree now having gone from traditional radio and syndication to podcasting because i also run a podcast and so i'm very familiar with this world uh what you just described is i think the difference between the old world of media and the new world where the old world of media was about the largest possible audience 
And to quote my hero and mentor, Seth Godin, the new world of media is Who about is Seth the small. Godin? Who is he's Seth the Godin? He's the father of modern marketing. So he's he's okay. literally uh, he in the world of marketing. He's, he's I'm going to uh, check him out as soon as I get off with him. Yeah, you should. So here's here's what you're going to like about what he has to say. The new world of media is about the smallest viable audience, not the largest possible, but the smallest viable, the least amount of people you need to do your work and make your impact. And are we so, talking the most loyal, though? Are, I mean, it, or is maybe. that kind of well, what you're saying? So if you you think about, OK, you got a podcast. What kind of impact do you want to make in the world? You don't have to answer that right now, but you think about that. You go, what kind of impact do I want to make in the world? How many people? What's the least amount of people I need to make an impact? It might be 50 people. Maybe it's 5,000, but it's probably not. It might be if I could really impact just 50 people or 100 people significantly, then they might mm -hmm. go spread that message and ripple it out. And so we start with the smallest viable audience because you're, you're not beholden anymore to advertisers ratings. who need to ratings, exactly, who need to hit millions of people. You know, I mean, if it, it, there was at one point where if, you know, six million people saw an episode of a TV show, it was a failure. Right. Yeah. But well, yeah. But I mean, it, it the 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 it's been so diluted because there is so much stuff out there now. Yeah, but that doesn't dilute it. What it does is it, it makes it easier. It doesn't make it easier. It makes it more important that you reach the right people, not the most people. Right. Because there aren't there isn't a general audience anymore. That's what changed is that here we have everything's micro, whatever you're into, the exact kind of thing that you're into. You can go find a podcast or a YouTube channel that's into that exact thing and only that. And so each individual media channel now or people, because a lot of us are personal brands like you and I are. We are just reaching the exact right people which means that they're much more likely to be loyal fans. They're going to spread our message further. They're going to take up the reins themselves and we can do mm. our work and make an impact. It's really exciting. I mean, me. that's that's why. And, and I know this probably sounds dumb, but I don't call my the people. I don't call them fans. I don't call them listeners. I call the people that consume my content supporters because. Yeah. I am a big, big soccer fan. I love soccer. And, you know, they call their fan supporters because in soccer, they believe that their supporters are just as important as the, you know, million dollar star on the team, you know, Bingo. because because, you know, whenever I've done stuff online, I've always had a terrestrial radio station to be able to promote what I'm doing. This whole podcast, since I've started it, has all been through word of mouth. And that's why I call the people that consume my product my supporters. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And so that's exactly the key to connecting with people in the new world of media is you're, you're connecting. You can't connect at anybody. You can only connect with them. So those people that you talked about earlier, the trolls. You just ignore them. You just ignore them. You give them no, you pay no mind to them because you're not even trying to connect with them because they're not trying to connect with you, right? You can't connect at those people. They're not interested in connecting okay, but, with you. So, yeah. But Brian, though, I mean, the way that the the system is set up 
with the algorithms, with all of that stuff for people to find out about you. You got to have you got to cater, though. You know, I know you say that, you know, you need to go for your audience. It doesn't matter how big they are, but the game is kind of set up where you have to go for the big audience. Why? Well, just because of the way the system is built. Algorithms on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I mean, it is I think it's the opposite though. I, I really I'm 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 I really think it's the opposite. So when when you when you're trying talking about the algorithm especially, what it's looking for is in the first, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, hour that your content is up, are there a handful of people who engage with it? in any meaningful way did they like it did they share it did they comment on it and so the goal is to get five people ten people who most care about your work to like it and comment and engage with it to share it and if Mm. just those tiny group of people do the algorithm goes oh people are interested in this i'll show it to a little bit more people so i think it's the total opposite don't go for everybody because nobody will be interested nobody's everybody right Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I don't I don't want to bore people with all the nerd talk we're talking about when it comes to that. (laughs) stuff. I want to I want to ask you, what was the first magic trick you learned? Oh, goodness. The first magic trick. I'm sure it was uh, some version of the same one. Almost everybody had in a magic kit when they were a kid. It was probably remember that that little you get in every magic kit, that plastic uh, slider where you put like a coin in it and then you push it in and you pull it out and and the coin's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, some version of that, maybe maybe the the little the ball in the vase, you know, that little plastic ball and vase you get in every magic kit when you're a kid. There's just some version of that. Whatever was in every every magician starts at the same place with some version of the same handful of plastic tricks and magic kits. Yeah. What's your best trick? Ah, uh, it's not for me to say. I don't know. And I, well, uh, and that's, you're, that's I mean, my you're audience. Well, I mean, but I i mean, come on, though, the one that you're the pr- all right, not your favorite, but what is the one you're the proudest of? Mm. See, that's that's a that's a very different question. It's a good question. Um, I'm very, very proud of the the closing piece in my show uh, right now, because I have been doing virtual magic shows in addition for the last. Year and I'm not asking clients. you to it. And I'm not asking you to explain how you do it, because you never are supposed to ask a magician you know (laughs) how you do it but i'm just asking the one that you're the proudest of yeah yeah no doubt the uh the one i'm the proudest of is the closing piece in my show and it's not because of the trick itself i wouldn't even it wouldn't even make sense to describe it out loud but it's because of the story that i tell with it and how i watch it impact people um i i leave my audience even though i do a very silly comedy magic show i leave them with something very I don't want to say serious, but significant, powerful, uh, meaningful. Um, and, uh, and, and it's a story about finding balance in your life um, at the end of, a, of an admittedly silly show. So I'm proudest of it, not because of the trick itself, but because of using the trick as a vehicle to, to leave somebody with something meaningful. Okay. Now, is there a hierarchy? Like, do you do, you do a card trick or mm-hmm. do magicians oh, yeah. look, de- look down like, oh man, you're, you're doing card tricks, Oops, whatever. No, no, the, there's there's a common misconception that you somehow work up from the small sleight of hand stuff to the big stage illusions. In many ways, the big grand illusion stuff is the easiest to do. 
they're boxes that work on their own or the assistants do all the work while the magician looks pretty and dances around. Not to say that those guys are misdirection. great at what direction. What you mean yeah, by mis misdirection when it comes yeah. to having the assistant? I don't think a lot of people realize that. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, they're, they're watching the, the magician dance around and, and be fancy. And it's the it's all the assistants in the background in the shadows that are doing the work and, and the boxes work on their own. I mean, if you got a million dollars, you can go buy one of those illusions. They're awesome. But, the, you know, mm -hmm. they work on their own. The the in fact, most magicians in most circles anywhere in the world will tell you that the the hardest type of magic it is sleight of hand. It's card tricks. It's coin tricks because there's nowhere to hide the close up is with the audience. Yeah. The close up stuff. Now, yeah. let me let me ask you, what what do you think of I think Penn and Teller used to do a show where magicians and they would uh, they would have to try to figure out how they did a certain trick like yeah, Penn and Teller's it, fool us. It's still on. OK, so like what what were your thoughts on that? I mean, are, are is Penn and Teller like. Look, I love them. I think it's funny. It's a great mixture of comedy and magic. Um, but like, what are what are your thoughts? Like, do people in the magician world like respect them? Oh yeah. So they they are deeply, deeply respected. Uh, in particular, Teller because he's the magician, right? Um, uh, Teller is deeply respected by magicians. He's he's a He's a historian of magic. He's a philosopher of magic, and he's a brilliant, brilliant sleight of hand artist. Um, there, Penn and Teller are easily my favorite magicians that the average non-magician would know about. Of all the magicians you've heard of, which is probably four or five, yeah, um, though they're easily my my favorite, hands down. And their their Who's show one Fool that, Us is wonderful. Who was one that maybe like none of us would know about that? you are like oh my god this guy's amazing wow that's that's such a great question so the average non-magician will have never heard of um oh gosh like there's so like i, I can't even pick a name uh jay sankey uh richard sanders yeah kind of give me Wilson, a mount rushmore you know? <laughs> give me give me a mount rushmore of the ones that we wouldn't know like so you gave me i three and i think like an a-hole i interrupted you on the fourth <laughs> one so no i mean i could literally rattle all, all the magicians that i was inspired by that i grew up idolizing are ones you would have never heard of they're they're magicians that magicians know um they are you know they're, they're just so many masterful but but many of those magicians are getting known now because to our earlier conversation we're in a world where everybody has a media studio in their pocket so those magicians can build massive youtube followings now in a way that in 10 15 20 years ago you they could have never gotten exposure without mass media so it's very now, cool like derek derek delgadio uh who has his show in and of itself which just came out on netflix after years on broadway he's a magician nobody would have ever heard wait of. is that the guy yeah. that was on social media all the time i think i there's um, one magician that i see on social media all the time and well, we kinda, have different news feeds, so I don't know who you're seeing. You might be seeing Justin but, Willman. Yeah, well, whoever he seems like a douchebag to me, in my opinion. Um, then no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to be an, you know, but he just seems but like. Then you're talking about himself. somebody else, and I have a feeling I know exactly who you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, and we we don't we don't want to talk bad, but I'll say it. He seems like a douche, but 
what I'm trying to say. Okay, now can can I ask you a serious question though? You being a magician, um, do you enjoy magic shows or going and seeing it, or are you too worried and trying to figure out how they do things? What I mean by is like, can you sit back and just enjoy it, or are you in your mind like, all right, I know how he did that. Or I can't figure out how he did it. Yeah, it's a really, really good question. So the answer is, uh, I love a magic show when it's a great magic show. And what I mean by that is, obvi- like, or maybe not obviously, because you just asked, I, I can't turn off the magician brain. There's no switch where you can turn it off and you, you're not able to see how a trick is done. 99% of the tricks that I'll see any magician do at this point in my career with a lifetime in magic, I will be able to figure out the trick. Is there but one that want... you haven't been able to figure out, though? And does it bug the hell out of you? No, when the trick actually fools me, it makes me feel like I did when I was a kid, seeing magic for the first time. Oh, I never want to know how that trick is done. I, I hold on to that that pure joy, that pure feeling of wonder. No, I never. If there are tricks left, I don't know how they work. I never want to know how they work. But uh, no spoilers. Absolutely. But but no, but even if I know how the tricks work, that's not how I judge a great magic show. I judge a great magic show by if I was able to get wrapped up in it, enthralled by it. And, you know, if I can find joy and wonder in it in spite of knowing how the tricks work, that's a great magic show because the real magic isn't the secret. The real magic is the connection with the audience. The Thank experience. you. I was about to I was about to that was going to be my next question. Who was the total package? When it comes to to magicians, the ones that would do the tricks, but could connect, could talk, could make people laugh, could make people cry. Who was and and, and I know I'm going to feel like a big dumbass once you tell me the name. Who was the guy that like made the Statue of Liberty disappear? What, what, that was, what was David his? Copperfield. Yeah, Copperfield. Now is Copperfield a joke? In in the magician no. or no, he's not. No, he's a living legend. Yeah. But like who is like the total package when it comes to magicians? The yeah. ones that had everything. Okay. Like ones might have the best tricks, but they're not able to connect with the audience, like you said. I'm talking about the one that was just overall when it comes to everything. That you're talking about connecting with people, mm-hmm. doing the trick, entertaining, in your opinion, who who yeah. has that everything? Darren Brown. Absolutely. One hundred percent. No question. Darren Brown, D-E-R-R-E-N Brown. He is a British mentalist, technically a mind reader, but his roots are in magic. And he has after 20 years of being he's more famous in the UK than David Blaine and Chris Angel are combined in the US. Like Darren Brown is a UK legend upon legend, um, but he just crossed over to American audiences about two years ago and did a Broadway run. And I got to go see a set and right in the first row, my wife surprised me with tickets for the holidays. It was wonderful. We took a trip to New York, sat in the front row. And after, you know, for me, I've been idolizing him since I was a teenager sat right there and watched him do his thing for two and a half hours on Broadway. And man, nobody on planet Earth in any generation of magic there's ever been is as good as Darren Brown. He's unbelievable. 
Now you're talking about the mentalist people, the the people that you know, like they'll like. I see a lot of these on TikTok. They'll be like, "All right, pick a color," and then you know, think of such and such and such and is 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 that a trick in itself? Like, why why do why does my brain always come to that final answer that they're always setting up? Is it a trick? Or yeah, it's all it it's, is. It's all it's all a trick. I mean, the, there's there are no real mind readers. There are no real magicians. There are no real psychics. I mean, hate to. I'm sure you're going to get hate mail from that from a few people listening right now. They're they're all all of these arts are using uh, the pretty much the same fundamental principles. There's sleight of hand. There's misdirection. There's cold reading. And how do you do the nothing... mind thing though? The, I mean, like you you know what I'm talking about when I say. All right, mm-hmm. so pick a color and then, you know, or no, here, pick a number, multiply it by such and such, and then da-da-da-da-da, and then, and then they're like, all right, what was the number? And, and, and then it's the same exact thing he said. Like, I know that there's a trick to it. I know yeah. that it is. But, like, like how, does, how does somebody figure that out, and is it passed down from generation to generation or like, you know, is it very competitive being a magician? Like, do you keep your, your cards close to your chest? No, I, I don't. And most magicians I know don't magic, uh, the pop culture representation of magicians, like the, now you see me movies and things like that. They what always, was the one with the Tesla one, what was the one with, um, Oh God! What was Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the Prestige, prestige. Yeah. and because the same year, The Illusionist came out with Edward Norton. Yeah, yeah, because th- it seemed very competitive. Yeah, that's all a fiction in Hollywood. That's just it seems fun to make it like dueling magicians. No, the magic community, which is what we call it, the magic community is the kindest, like most loving community you could possibly want to be a part of. Now there are plenty of squabbles like any family anybody who loves each other we argue and we bicker but you have to remember magicians are essentially a community of misfits and we're a very particular community of misfits we're a community of misfits built on the principle that we're not allowed to talk about what we do to anybody who's not a magician well that's incredibly bonding you can't talk about what we do the secret to anybody who's not a magician so we bond over this. It's a brotherhood almost. It's yeah, a brotherhood it is a brother. I mean, I'm literally a member of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. So, yes, it literally is a brotherhood. So it's there's this dueling, you know, yeah, you're, you know, there's going to be people with egos in any industry, in any art form. But by and large, it is a very loving, supportive community. Like if I was stranded anywhere in the world without, you know, a place to to stay or without the ability to eat. Uh, you know, had no money. My wallet was stolen. Any magician who had never met me would put me up and give me food anywhere Almost in the world. Sounds no like Harry Potter, like safe house, you know, yeah, and that's exactly Harry Potter what movies like. like, you know, they had that exactly one place that like. they went to. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I had to go for, you know, I, I shouldn't like stereotype and think every magician like, oh, my God, we watched Harry Potter. Well, it's not every magician that watched Harry Potter. It's everybody from my generation. I was 11 when the first movie came out. So I was, I was like the same age as the characters. I was the Harry Potter generation. So you're talking to a big, a big, uh, uh, a big Harry Potter nerd. 
Well, Brian, man, I uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, sure. You know, like sometimes, like I, I doubt myself. Sometimes when I when 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 I do these interviews, I'm like, oh, it's just just a stupid ass question that this guy has already heard probably 30 or 40 times in his lifetime. And I don't know. I, I thought this interview, I enjoyed it. Well, I, I'm thrilled. If you enjoyed it, there's a good chance that most of the people listening enjoyed it as well. So I'm, I'm happy to have any conversation, any conversation somebody's willing to have with me. That's how I feel. If, if you're willing to spend the time and to think of questions, to me, that's an honor. I should be so lucky that anybody's interested in my story or what I have to say. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate you having me. Brian, before you go, let people know how they can find you. Absolutely. The best way to find me, if you like podcasts, as I know you do because you're listening to one, I run a podcast called Beyond Networking. I have on legends and leaders of industries that uh, people all, if you're into kind of marketing business, self-help, anything like that, all the famous people that wrote all those famous books on your bookshelves, those are the kind of people that come on my podcast and tell these really deep and intimate stories that they don't tell anywhere else about the, the, the chance encounters uh, on which, and that they built their success essentially. So it's beyond networking podcast.com beyond networking podcast.com. And uh, this season, all I've been doing is talking to people who made monumental pivots last year in response to, oh, COVID I in order to keep their business alive. Yeah. Man, so it's, this I whole did. season's about resilience and, and adaptability and pivoting. You're, you're talking, God, see, I, I, I tried to wrap it up, but now I have another goddamn <laughs> question. Uh, serendipity. Do you, do you believe in that? Like, you know, you're talking about chance encounters. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think, I mean, like, do you think that things are predetermined, predestined, mm. or, or are we just a, uh, a bunch of people floating on a rock that's spinning around the Milky Way galaxy? That is just like spinning around this big, humongous universe. So, no, I don't think it's either of those two things. And we're, you're going to have to invite me back so we can have this conversation. See, because, see you know so what? Because we'll, we'll, keep, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going on and on and on again. But I, I would love to have you on. But it was just one of those questions that I was like, because a lot of people believe in karma. I do not believe in karma at all. Because I good things, yeah, good good things happen to bad people all the time, and bad things happen to good people all the time. No doubt, yeah, the world is not fair, absolutely. But what I would, I'll leave it with this: what I would focus on is um, serendipity. I that to me, that's uh, if you're asking, like, do I believe in luck? Um, the answer is yes. I actually think most of our lives are determined by luck. But what I mean do you create by luck, the luck? Do you create it? Yeah. So, so some of it you can't create a lot of the luck in your life comes down to your genes. Again, that, you know, if you were born into a middle upper middle-class family in, you know, in New York, uh, you're going to live a very different life. You know, you're going to have a different set of circumstances than if you were born into poverty in the middle of, I don't know, you know, somewhere else in the world. But right? it's, so so but it's, part of it, it, go ahead. Sorry. Well, so part of it is luck of birth, luck of what age you, you know, being born in the 1700s versus born in 2021. It's all different. But 
within the context of the life you've been given and the genes and the timing and, and all and the culture and all that, within that context, luck really just comes down to opportunity. And what happens to most people, I think, is that we don't realize how many opportunities there are on a daily basis because we've got our heads down and our blinders on. And that if you talk to more people, if you are more open, if you are genuinely curious, if you seek to make connections, if you operate with generosity and kindness on a daily basis, more lucky moments will come your way, more opportunities will come your way. And so I do believe in luck, but I also believe that we have a lot of influence over the odds of being in a lucky situation. Speaking of luck, and I, you know, I read this and I can't remember the exact number, but they say it's like one and something trillion of you actually being born a human being. Yeah. Yeah. The odds of you even being born are ridiculously low. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that's lucky just in itself. Yeah. Correct. You're lucky just to be alive. Literally. <laughs> yeah. So Brian, man, I could stay here and talk to you forever, man, but uh, let's, let's do this again. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just so thrilled. This is great. Thanks so much for a great conversation. All right, man. Have a wonderful day and I will talk to you soon. Okay. All right. We'll talk soon. From the Vapor Shades Hobo Fish Camp. Man, maybe I would have way more sex partners in my life if I just threw caution to the wind. It's the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Tuttle's Daily Podcast is brought to you by StitchYouUp.com. For your embroidery, screen printing, vinyl, and direct-to-garment printing needs, visit stitchyouup.com. StitchYouUp specializes in custom caps, shirts, decals, and anything you want to personalize. Whether it's one item or large orders, they can handle any size. Unsure about what you want? Let StitchYouUp help you with your logo design. Visit stitchyouup.com or contact them, eric at stitchyouup.com. Stitch you up. Definitely not your grandma's embroidery. Nerd. Radio personality. And hot talk satirizer. You're listening to the Tuttle Podcast. Welcome back to the Tuttle Daily Podcast. The last segment of the show today. But I've always been telling you guys, there's a couple of ways you can get a hold of me. You can email me, Tuttle at gmail.com. That's Tuttle with two Ds. T-U-D-D-L-E at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail, 407-270-3044, just like this fine gentleman did. Hey, Tuttle, I was just listening to one of your old podcasts the other day, uh, episode 212 with the uh, infamous David Weiss, the Flat Earther. And I got to tell you, the uh, underwater catharism, uh mechanism that he was talking about that makes the uh, the moon eclipse from the sun, that, that about killed me. I, I assume they found it right next to the lost city of Atlanta. Yeah, I talked about this actually last night on the Tuttle Daily Podcast live stream, which will be coming up tonight at 8 on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Tuttle. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit that bell button. Make sure you comment or just just engage with me on my YouTube channel because it, it really does help with the algorithm. But this guy's right. That episode 212 that I did was one of the most popular episodes that I've ever done. And I don't understand it. I don't want you to think that I believe in a flat earther, but the thing about a flat earther is you cannot argue with them. Like they have an answer for everything. 
So I just wanted to ask the questions and let him answer them. Just to kind of like, just let him roll with it, you know, so people could actually see how dumb he is to think that the earth is actually flat. But anyway, yeah, classic show. You should, uh, you should make some best of, uh, you know, if you make some best of shows, 212 should be at the top of the list because that stuff is hilarious. I don't know if you actually believe the flat earther stuff, but just listening to this guy, he sounds like the son of uh, Dr. Demento, you know, from back in, back in the day on the radio. But anyway, uh, good job on the Love of the Love Fun show and good job on the uh, Brent Hadley show. It's always great to see you out there and uh, in your old roots. Um, too bad, you know, maybe you can do it. Maybe you can have Russ on your show, you know, as a, as a, as an idea or as a podcast or, you know, maybe you can. Actually, Russ Rollins has already been on the Tuttle Daily podcast. He, him, Jana Banana, Daniel Dennis, they all came on for my hundredth show that I did of the Tuttle Daily podcast. And I'm coming up, uh, today is show number 361. So in four days, I will have done a year's worth of podcasts. I mean, that's a, that's a great milestone. You know, a lot of people don't talk about this. It, podcasting is kind of like a restaurant. A lot of people don't last the first half a year. You know, I, ran on, I went on that little streak, like of six months, where I did not miss a single day. I even did Saturdays and Sundays. So maybe I do need to get Russ back on the show. Maybe do something special for 365. After you invite him, he might allow you to come back on his show for a show. You know, I think that'd be a cool idea to get Russ Rollins on board. So just a thought. You know, I always told you I'm going to be honest with you on the Tuttle Daily podcast. Um, That's already been talked about. Russ wanted me to come back and start doing some bits, start doing some stuff on the show to be able to promote the podcast that I have going on. But he told me, he was like, look, I got to run it up the tree. I got to run it up the uh, flagpole, whatever it, it that saying is. And there is somebody on the show. I have an idea of one or two people that it could be. But Russ was not able to make it happen. Russ, Russ wanted me to start doing some stuff, and I completely understand where he's coming from. You got to respect the crew that you have at the moment. But I would like to hear from you guys. Could you email me, Tuttle at gmail.com? I would like to hear your thoughts. Who, who do you think cockblocked me when it comes to coming back on the air? And I, you, I'm pretty sure I know who it is. But, uh, you know, Old Tuttle would call it out. Old Tuttle would burn that bridge again. And I'm just not going to do it. But I am going to be honest with you and tell you that, yes, that had already been talked about. But somebody on the morning show said no. They did not support it. They didn't like me. Well, I don't know exactly what was said. Maybe, maybe they didn't say, I, I, maybe they just, I don't know. Maybe they saw me as competition. Maybe I did something in the past because I'm sure that's what it is. I'm sure it's something that I did in the past that, that they're still upset about that they're going to be like, yeah, they're going to motherfuck me. And that's exactly what happened. Took away an opportunity for me to be able to promote what I'm doing. So, hey, I get it. 
I was an asshole. I wish them nothing but the best. I, I talked to Russ quite a few times a week. But I also respect Russ honoring the wishes of some of the people on his show. So that's about it. Going to end the show today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And that's the show for today. Thanks for listening to the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Hey, don't be a dickhead. Do us a favor. Like, share, and subscribe to the show. Also, check out the Tuttle category at 315live.com. The Tuttle Daily Podcast is brought to you by the Vapor Shades Hobo Fish Camp. You want some cool-ass sunglasses? Check out Vaporshades.com. Also brought to you by Starfire Transport, StitchYouUp.com, PocketPairClub.com. Special thanks to show intern Hannah and Charlie Lamo for their contributions. Additional imaging and production is provided by CCA Productions, Facebook.com slash CCA Productions Presents. Show voiceover service is brought to you by jcvoiceover.com. That guy's got a damn sexy voice. You should hire him. Check out jcvoiceover.com. If you want to help support the show, go to paypal.me slash radio. Comments? Concerns? Or do you just want to let Tuttle know he's being a dickhead? Tuttle at gmail.com. That's Tuttle with two Ds at gmail.com. Leave a voicemail at 407-270-3044. To follow all of Tuttle's social media, go to Tuttle.net. Thanks again for all your support, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Hey, yo, Terry, fuck going on?